Hey guys, welcome to the Marriage Millennials Podcast. It is 9.08 p.m. on Monday, April 22nd. Welcome back and thanks again for listening. And if you're new, hey, we're your hosts, Rochelle. And Samuel Shayola. We're the creators of MarriageMillennials.com, which is a blog that discusses God's design for family, teaches millennials to honor Christ before marriage, and prepares them for family. Pretty much, we teach millennials to honor Christ before a spouse and with one, while preparing them for family if it is a current desire they have. Alright, and before we get started, as always, we want to tell you where you can keep the convo going with us after the end of this podcast, as well as some housekeeping for the site. This will be posted on the site, marriageformillennials.com, so if you have any questions, feel free to comment below on that post, or you can also visit the Facebook page, backslash mfmillennials. Rose's Twitter and IG handle are at Rochelle Shayola, and mine is at Samuel Shayola, so feel free to follow and talk with us there as well. Also, the podcast is on all listening outlets, so subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. Just type Marriage for Millennials in the search bar and it will pop right up for you. Last thing, if you've been following or even if you haven't, there are a ton of cool things on the site from books to free courses, products, and more, so feel free to check those out as well. Alrighty guys, let's jump in. What's up, what's up, what's up? Hello, everyone. How are you? I hope your week was great. Um, we're back with another podcast, of course, like we promised. Um, we're hoping you wrapped up a great weekend, another great weekend, and had a great start to your week. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had a weekend. It was filled with fun, festivals, food. Fellowship. Yep, church, and, you know, more Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, I've been watching that. Mm-hmm. And uh, all that jazz. So, yeah, um, Friday night. Usually we're homebodies, but I think we really needed just a weekend of just time together. Um, so Friday we went um, to Anatolia. Yeah. Uh-huh. Got grabbed a bite a bite to eat. Um and then and some drinks. And then uh the next day we went um to the gun range for a little bit. Did a yep. did a quick pet stop there. Um <laughs> got a new toy for Sam over here. Pew, pew. <laughs> um and then we went to a like international festival in Duluth. So they- Yeah, they were doing like they were doing this um there was this particular band that got up on stage while we were there, and they were doing, it's called Copaera, um, and it's basically like this dance that they do in Brazil, but it's like it's like martial arts, but hidden, it's dance, but hidden in martial arts, right? And like, apparently, if if what they did was they would, they would dance this way, but secretly, they actually could whoop your behind. <laughs> yeah, so. Could kick you in the face, and you wouldn't even know it, yeah, where it so- came from. So overall, it was pretty much an international um, festival. So you had different cultures, different foods, things like that. We were there. It was really cold that day. So we were there for a little bit, and then we were like, listen, we got to go. So we weren't there long, but we did have fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Then Sunday was church. Um, That was great. Um, And then we wrapped Sunday up with the fellowship with our friends and family. We went to this new market in Marietta. That's kind of mm-hmm. like Pont City Market if you're from the Atlanta area. Um, so that was like, cool. Yeah. It was fun. And then, of course, Game of Thrones. Um, and here we are, back again on Monday. Yep. 
So yes, that's what we did. Um, before we jump into the podcast, I wanted to just kind of pop in and give a huge thank you to those who participated in our bridal box giveaway. Um, thank you again to Souls Reconnected for helping us facilitate this giveaway with the launch. Um, it went well, and we can't wait to um, continue to just get the boxes, more exposure, and all that all that will come from that. Um, so yeah, we will announce the winner tomorrow. Um, so please stay tuned um, for whoever that winner will be. And then also stay tuned for any future giveaways that um, will have to come. So thanks again, guys. All right. <laughs> Finally to the podcast. Um, what are we talking about today? The title that you clicked already is called, say it with me. Why are pastors afraid, afraid of, of their, their flock? flock? Um, I feel like this is a topic that I've always wanted to touch on, like for a very long time. Um, I just feel like from our ch- our church journey, or maybe just mine, um, you know, from Pentecostal to Reformed theology, I feel like this is something that I something that I always saw in the church. Didn't really know how to articulate it, what I was feeling, but I feel like you know, with growth, I kind of do now. And then, of course, I have um, hubby with me. So he'll be able to kind of fill in those gaps if I miss anything. But I feel like this is something that we've always wanted to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just one of those things where you see it often and you... And, and and once you start to notice the pattern, it it just becomes very obvious when you walk into a different church. Yeah, you're like, oh man, this again. <laughs> yeah. But um. But um, yeah. I mean, let's let's kind of let's let's kind of. I guess what we'll do is kind of show you some major patterns that we do see often, mm-hmm. and even things that we should, I, I think, as Christians, look out for. And even if you do belong to one of these churches, how you can change it. Right. You can change it and change the culture of that church to be a more healthy, biblically balanced church. Yeah, and I think that's um, great to say before we get into our pointers because I think a lot of times, especially um, going from Pentecostal to Reformed Theology, I think a lot of times, you know, the first thing people want to tell you to do is like, leave your church, leave your church, leave your church. And I think it's important to encourage people to let that be a last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can try to be the change you want to see, like once you learn God's word for what it is, try to be that person who's able to go to the the other members of the body you currently exist in mm-hmm. and try to just teach them the way as opposed to just leaving it. It should it should grieve you to leave your church. Um, so I think that's, I think that's a great point to make. Mm -hmm. All right. Our first point, let's just get right in. Yeah. So I think the first thing that we were thinking of, or at least that that came to my mind immediately was there was a quote that I remember, um, uh, when I used to do Bible study at my old church and that was, um, from R.C. Sproul and R.C. Sproul, uh, had a quote where he said, when I get up on that pulpit, many people think that my job is to scratch your itch, to scratch you where you itch. But that's not my job at all. My job is to make you itch. Right. And that always stuck with me because in that position that I was in at the time, it really, it it almost made it seem as though like, yo, the crown is heavy. Like if you're up here, this is a special privilege 
And if you're up here and you're and you're ministering before the people, God does not take this lightly. Um, he wants you to expose sin. And people think that they know where sin is at, but it's only God's word. When you go through it exegetically, you will see that it makes people metaphorically itch, right? So um, that's kind of what what first came to mind when I when I when I first heard about this particular topic. Yeah. So again, you know, we're not pastors, um, but just from a member's perspective, you as a pastor, you want to create that itch. You don't want to be the one to scratch it and. Itch, let's kind of break down itch. What is that itch? Just for anyone who's unclear. Um, scratching the itch would kind of be like, you know, you go to church, you get a sermon, you get a good word. That is just, it. it's baby food. It just kind of pacifies you um, or it just kind of enables you to just kind of keep doing whatever it is you're doing. Well, I think, I think what it is to me that scratching an itch is, if I could kind of, somehow define that i would say that it's more so saying something that the world can also amen right 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 you're 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 saying something that is not exclusively christian you're saying something that almost anybody can affirm uh i remember hearing one uh person say uh how they knew they didn't preach a, a particular particularly good sermon because there was a mormon who heard that sermon and they came to them. They they actually saw them in the gym because they they actually do um they do witnessing throughout the week or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. And they saw this particular Mormon in the gym, and the, the Mormon comes up to him, is like, "That was a good word you preached on such and such." He's like, "Oh man, that was a bad word," <laughs> because that means I didn't I didn't show him specifically how it's an exclusively Christian message. You see what I'm saying? Right. And there's a lot of exclusivity when it comes to the like. People think that Jesus Christ had these general general sayings that applied to everybody, and not true. There are very exclusive views that are only found in Christianity that you need to be exposing to your to your congregation. Yeah, and I think another point to mention is that you know, as a pastor, you're the leader. I mm. think um, a lot of times they forget that um, just because of if if this was any other type of business. I mean, church is a business in a way like it's it's a business but it's a spiritual it's a spiritual business it's combined it's a family yeah it's a family but you know there's still legal processes that you go to create that family but it has hierarchy right so what i mean by that is if if in any other business per se Mm -hmm. it's like there's a transaction so it's like i pay you Mm -hmm. to give me this product or i pay you to give me this service so I think a lot of times pastors fearfully compare their ministry to that. So they feel like, okay, well, I know I'm the pastor, but my dollars come from my customers being my sheep. So oh, okay, okay. I so 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 I think like pastors a good thing for them to keep in mind is that no, no, no. You are the leader. Like, you are the shepherd. Like, you are the person who is guiding the people. You're not supposed to be catering your sermons for them to like you or like what you're saying. You're supposed to be creating your sermons to honor God and let the chips fall where they may. Whether, right. whether it Whether it offends your members or not. Rightfully offends them. Okay. 
right? So, um, you know, you're the leader. And I think that pastors should have confidence in that. Um, I think you have two perspectives, like two extremes, right? You either have pastors who don't know. I think I think one of the reasons why pastors are afraid of their flock is because scriptures are being used out of context. And I think you have two extremes here. You either have pastors who don't know that they're using scripture out of context because I've been there to churches where they just, you can tell that they literally just don't know. It's tradition. These out of context scriptures are decades, centuries deep. Like we've been doing it this way, so we're going to keep doing it this way. But then you have pastors who do know, but they're kind of just like, you know, all I have to do is be one step ahead. And if they don't know, and I could just keep creating sermons that don't cause too much ruckus, Mm -hmm. then I'll just do that. Right. And so, you know, I think that that's something that pastors need to work on, making sure that they're constantly being in the word, constantly, um, you know, looking to other people to help them in the areas where they need to grow in regards to knowledge of the word so that they can, you know, pour into their members accurately. Yeah, I think I think the 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 best way to kind of combat preaching stuff out of context is exegetical reading of the text um, and expository reading of the text because it, it, explain it, that I to probably, our members yeah, yeah. I just, I just, <laughs> right so um, and these aren't don't be scared of big words at all these are not that crazy honestly but all it essentially means is read it in context and what do we mean by that so instead of saying you know I want to talk about love this Sunday and we're just going to go and bounce around the Bible to all the passages that talk about love. Well, there's an issue with that in the sense that, first of all, you're bouncing around the different types of scripture. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the main thing is that the verse that you're picking, we have not heard the entire chapter to see the flow of it and to see exactly what they mean when they when you cherry pick that one verse and that context changes per book yes it changes per book it changes um per speaker depending like who's writing it like mm-hmm. so it, it 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 always changes um and we have to be able to say to ourselves well if that's the case then maybe we should not just be going and bouncing around the bible all the time maybe we should say from sunday to sunday we're going to make sure that in this amount of time, we're going to cover the book of John. Uh, this amount of time, we're going to cover the book of, we can go Old Testament sometimes. We'll cover the book of, um, of uh, you know, Nehemiah, like we just recently did at our church, right? Um, a couple weeks ago. Like, it, it just depends on where you're at, but just cover a book because then there's no question about what the what the reader meant. And the context is consistent. Right. People are, from week to week as they're coming, they're saying to themselves, okay, I remember what he preached about last week, and now that flows into this message. They're and they're connecting those, yeah, exactly. They're connecting those dots. So I think that really helps put things into context and prevents people from taking scripture out of context. In fact, it probably highlights... All those times when you follow, you probably every once in a while, if you've ever sat under exegetical uh, preaching, you hear that verse that, you know, you always hear people traditionally say, you're like, oh, wow, that's that ain't what that meant at all. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So um, 
I think that that's a pretty big thing, ex- exegetical and expository preaching. Yep. Um, another thing I kind of wanted to throw out there is um, the dangers of deflection preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that I have never really heard anyone talk on before, but it's a thought that I've had in my head for a while. Um, so just bear with me. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> She's about to flush it out for so, so deflection preaching to me, and it's just a phrase I just made up five seconds ago, but it's pretty much when a pastor preaches good things, right? It's not to say that he's preaching bad things, but he preaches things that he knows that his sheep are not struggling with. Right. So, for example, um, if you go on any form or if you just, you know, look up the word Christian or whatever, you'll probably find an article or something that lets you know that Christians are against homosexuality mm-hmm. um, or the Bible is against homosexuality, right? Um, am I saying that a pastor should not preach against homosexuality because he he's not for it? No. Go right ahead. But what I am saying is a lot of times pastors, they it, it will be easier to preach to my heterosexual congregation mm-hmm. about the the dangers and the abominations in homosexuality because I know that I'll get them to stand up and like clap and, and you know hoop and holler because none of them are homosexual. Right. It's it's easy to be on the the outside looking in saying, "Yep, you sinners over there, my pastor's right talking about you sinners over there." But it's harder as a pastor to say, "Oh no, no, no. I know my members, I know my sheep, and I know that based on me seeing you do life together and actually doing life with you, a lot of you guys struggle with pride. So how about we talk about that? Right. Or adultery. Um, right. Or, you know, there's so many other different sins that are more common that are sending people to hell every day. That will create that itch in your congregation, but right. instead you choose to preach Def- on the thing furthest. Right. That you choose they- to deflect. Yeah. So you're like, and it's not to say that you're preaching wrong things, but it's still deflection. Yeah, it's... it's um. You know, like when the Bible talks about um, Paul in particular talking about them being uh, like these particular Christians, uh, I think it's in the church of Corinth, being on milk. And he doesn't want you to be on milk forever. You know, like you can't like once we've gotten to the point where we've grown you past infancy in Scripture, we have to get to the more solid food. And that might be that might look like. Um, maybe you don't know what worship actually is. Maybe you think worship is only when you sing on Sundays. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we need to talk about like how you daily live your life and everything you do is worship. Right. These and these topics don't have to be super complex. Like they can right. just be the daily things that you do in life. And the granted, ordinary things. Right. And granted, as a pastor, you can't control what people do once they leave on Sunday. Um, right. You can't control what they do once they leave on Sunday. You can't control if your members are going to have the desire to pick up the word on their own from Monday through Saturday. You can't really control that. You can't be in everyone's home. However, you can control what you teach on Sunday, yeah. what you preach Sunday morning mm-hmm. or evening, whatever. How comfortable are they in those pews when you're preaching and you're not causing them to have any conviction of sin? You see what I'm saying? That That to me is the major issue is that we're we're intentionally picking passages that we know will go over smoothly and we're not is not going to cause any t- 
type of conviction. Right. And then what what you end up having is nobody will admit it, but you have Christians in your church who don't believe they are the greatest sinner, like Paul says. Yeah. Or they don't believe that their sin got Jesus crucified too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So they're not they're they're not on their daily they're not, and this is the reason why people don't pick up their cross daily. This is why they don't read their their um Bible daily. You know, like when you think about the Lord's prayer, and He says, "Give us this," He says, "Give us this day our daily bread." Right? That means that you're supposed to ask for it every twenty four hours. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, the reason why you're you're asking for it as far as daily is because you realize that I am a flawed human being. I need nourishment. Mm -hmm. But when you're not showing them that they need nourishment, then why would they ever pick up? Why would they ever feel the need to be nourished by the, by the bread of life? Right. Right. Um, so yeah, that kind of brings us to our second point, which is a good one. Um, scripture versus your feelings, um, (laughs) slash, I feel it in my spirit. Right. Right. Um, this is something that is very common in churches, mm-hmm. um, almost to the point where it just becomes chaotic. I mean, you have people, well, I feel this in my spirit. I have this, I got this word or, you know, one person in your church feels this in their spirit. Another person feels something in their spirit and both of those things contradict each other. Right. And then what happens is, is it turns into, well, that's how I interpreted God's word. And then it's like, okay, well, who do I believe then? Well, well, it's not even only that both of them contradict each other. It's both y'all contradict each other and both y'all contradict the word. Right. That's the issue. The issue is that the highest authority is scripture. That's just what it comes down to. And no matter how we feel, we're supposed to submit ourselves to it. And, you know, um, before you kind of go ahead, before you, you expand on your points, um, I want to be sure to say that your feelings should be submitted to accurate contextual scripture. And the reason why I want to be clear on that is because people will read verses out of context and then say they feel something in my spirit based on this verse. That is out of context. Right. So sometimes you will feel like your feelings are in line with scripture. Yeah. But if you're if the, if those feelings are not felt <laughs> accurately yeah. based on the accurate context, there you're still in error there. And what you're doing, you're spiritually cutting yourself. And what I mean by that essentially is that, you know, the the Bible says that the word of God is a sword. That's what it is. Um, just like you would, you know. Um, we just talked to you about how we, we bought a gun, um, this, this weekend. Right. And, you know, that's not something that you play with lightly. I've already, you know, I'm, I'm personally, you know, I have a couple different guns now, but the, the issue is that I don't just leave them around laying aloof for anybody to come and pick up. You have to learn to practice with things that have, you have to, you have to have a respect for the weapon, Right. So just like we would do that with an actual gun and we would have certain measures in place to make sure that no one gets hurt. There are certain things that you have to do to make sure you don't get hurt by handling scripture incorrectly. Right. And 
when you mishandle scripture, you're going to end up deeply hurting yourself because this sword cuts through. It's it's not just cutting flesh, right? It's cutting like it it cuts spirit, right? It it it, it can it can cut you asunder in the sense that it pierces your soul and 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 convicts you in that way. Now, if you're using it in such a way though that is convicting you in the wrong way, and then you set up expectations for it to operate in a certain way, you end up hurting yourself. You end up shooting yourself in the foot proverbially. So I just, I always, you know, as she, as she stated, like context is key. I mean, they teach you that all the time. They, they, they'll say it three times, context, context, context. It's, it's always key in making sure that you read these passages all the way through, making sure you understand the entirety of what the author is trying to relay to you the audience or the not not even you personally but the audience who he's writing to right and how you can now take that and apply it right so i know sam had some points about um just the different types of contexts that there are oh yeah, yeah so there's different types of contexts in the sense of like there's different types of literature like so if if um if I open up a science book, right, and I start reading from a science book, there's a certain way that you're gonna take that, right? However, if I pick up, for example, um Dr. Seuss or something. Dr. Seuss or this JK Rowling thing that we're that we've been watching with uh, Game of Thrones, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you pick up any of those books, you know not to take it in the same way that you take a science book, right? And you know not to take it in the same way that you take a history book, right? So that is something that you have to think about with regard to scripture. So there's different types of scripture. There, there is wisdom scripture, right? There is, um, there are commandments, right? There's scripture that is commandment. There's scripture that is historical. There is scripture that is prophetic, and all of these have different commandments. I mean, different um contexts. So if I pick up a fairy tale book and I say, "Once upon a time." Right. Like you're not going to take that literal and you already know, I think I'm listening to a fairy tale. Right. If I write a letter, um, as I heard, um, I recently heard a, um, a sermon by Vody Bauckham. He was talking about this. He was saying, like, um, you know, if I write a letter to my wife versus if I write a letter as the dean of um, I think it's African Christian University that he's running over there. Um, if I use the word passion in my letter to the school. That's a different context than if I use the word passion in my letter to my wife, right? Mm-hmm. Completely different. There might be an academic love that I have that has nothing to do or anywhere near close to the romantic love that I have for my wife, right? Right. So, um, or the sensual love, or however you want to, however you want to word it. But um, so we have to learn to say to ourselves that you know, put your feelings aside. When it comes to scripture, it's not, it's, it, all right, let me, let me, let me actually kind of amend that. I'm not saying put your feelings aside. I'm saying put scripture first, let scripture lead first, and then your feelings can come with it, but they should not lead. Scripture leads your feelings. Feelings do not lead scripture because right. we have plenty examples in the Bible of characters who are absolutely jubilant when they hear the word of God. They're absolutely sad 
when they hear that judgment comes. It's not that emotions don't exist. You see what I'm saying? Feelings are not something to be abandoned. God gave gave them to us for a reason, but they have their place. Right. Um, Books of wisdom versus commandments and prophecy. I think we should give some examples on some of those books. I know some books are symbolic, some are historical, some are prophetic, like we said. Um, I'd love to kind of just throw some out there that way. If someone's listening to this and they're kind of just like, a light bulb just went off and they're like, well, I didn't know that. Where do I start? What yeah. do you mean by that? So you have, um, all right, so let me give you an example. Like if books of wisdom, right? I mean, Let's start there. Yeah. Books of wisdom would be something like uh, Proverbs, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. These are um, books of wisdom. Um, you have, um, you also, I mean, Songs of Solomon is also considered a book of wisdom. Yeah. But um, the... The, I think you also have, um, you have you have melodies, right? You have I mean not even melodies, but songs themselves. That's a whole nother genre. But when, for example, it says train up a child in the way he should go, right? Um, does that mean? Because remember, when it comes to books of wisdom, are they commandments? No, commandments are another genre. Because if I go to Exodus. And I'm reading the Ten Commandments, or even I'm going through Exodus to Leviticus to Deuteronomy to Numbers, and I'm reading all those 613 laws. Yeah, that is not the same context in which I read wisdom. Because law is constant. You are governed by it. But, however, wisdom, on the other hand, is completely different because it doesn't necessarily mean that it always comes to pass. And in fact... There is an entire book of the Bible that is dedicated to proving that wrong, right? So, in general, if you are a righteous man who abides by the law, who um, does not sin, in general, you will probably amass good wealth for yourself. You will probably um, have, you know, um, good health, maybe live long and stuff like that. But does that mean that always happens? No. The book of Job was literally just to show you that, yes, in general that happens, but God is sovereign and he can choose to do whatever he wants. Now, there are general rules that typically work, but it's not always the case. Right. Um, so that brings us to our next point. Um, kind of bringing it back to why pastors are afraid of their flock. Um, one thing that I think would like to mention is that church members are not used to reverential giving. And what I mean by that specifically is members are not used to giving because you're a steward um, versus giving because you got a good word or a good performance from your pastor. Right. Um, So I think one of the reasons the motives. One of the reasons why pastors probably, you know, feed their members baby food is because they know that their members give based on how good they were up there as opposed to, you know, it doesn't matter what my pastor's preaching. I'm giving this money to his kingdom because I know that I'm a steward of God's money and I know that he gave this money to me 
and provided it for me. So I'm giving it back. Even if your sermon creates that itch for me, even if your sermon, if that sermon, you know, confronts me and convicts me with my own sin, I will still give. Most members are not doing that. They're just like, I'm not giving if I don't feel like this word was good for me. And I think that because of that, pastors are just like, you know, well, church, this ministry thing is not a super lucrative business, especially if you're not in like the prosperity gospel realm of things. So the the small amount that I'm getting right now, I want to hold on to that. So Mm -hmm. let me just like say the bare minimum so that my members don't pull their money back. And that's an issue on both sides. It's an issue from the pastor because you're not confident enough in saying, I don't care. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make another way, which we'll talk about later in the podcast. Um, but I'm going to preach this word and I'm going to preach it accurately. And then it's an issue on the member side because you're idolizing your pastor, which is why you're only giving when he does a good job as opposed to giving because you're stewarding God's money. Right. I mean, it, 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 it becomes, yeah, it's, it's sin on both sides. Are you up there saying that you're basically looking at your pastor like a show monkey on on the stage, and if he gives you you know a good a knee slapper or whatever like that, then you know you're gonna feed him some peanuts. Like no, that's not the way you want to be looking at your pastor. You want to make sure that your pastor is is viewed as though like, hey, um, he gave what was demanded of him. Not from not demanded of him from the people, but demanded of him from the Most High, and the Most High is telling him that he needed to go over the Scripture and not skip over skip over the hard parts, right? And he went over those hard parts, and when he went over those hard parts, he made sure that he didn't allow us to get comfortable in what it is that we typically do not hear every day. Right. Right. Um, which brings us to our next point. One of the ways that you can minimize that is being selective in church membership. Um, selective church membership is important, and I think it's something that Sam and I first experienced when we joined our new church. Um, and it's not to say that if you are not a member, you can't come to church, right? You're more than welcome to come to church. You're more than welcome to hear the sermons. You're more than welcome to come on Wednesday night to what have you. But to be included in the body and to be a part of some of the exclusive things of the body, you have to be a member. And what that means is we have to interview you and we have to make sure that you are who you say you are and we know you best as best as we can right. know you in the beginning. Um, have and have to set a bar, yeah. Yeah, you can't just have no bar because what ends up happening is I think everyone's kind of just like, come as you are, everyone come in. And uh, and what happens is you have a lot of, you know, you have some good people in there, but then you also have a bunch of people who are not supposed to be there. Right. Um, and, and that's okay. Maybe God will soften their heart at a later time, but at this current time, they're not supposed to be in there, and then those, those bad apples just end up, you know, spoiling the whole bunch. And so, um, you know, you can't have no bar. You got to be selective in members, members who you know are submitted to Christ to where they long for that conviction. Right. Um, so, you know, members that are willing to make public confessions. Right. So it's important that, you know, you're, you're selective 
in the members of the body as a pastor. Yeah, and and by the way, if this sounds like very difficult, like we're 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 like, oh my goodness, who has the time to do all this? Exactly. This is why you need a plurality of elders. Right. It's not something that one man is supposed to be able to handle. I mean, um, you know, Moses leads the children out of Israel, and when he comes down from the mountain, he's given all the laws and stuff. He gets tired. And his wife's father comes up to him and says, hey, you know, I can see that you're getting weary. I can see that you're getting that you're getting worn out here. Why don't you designate some elders? Why don't you designate some men that you know are upright and have them help you dispense this word that you've gotten from the mountain and give it to the people that way, that way that you can it can't just all be on your shoulders. Right. You know, and, and that's 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 the picture of what we're trying to create here. We're trying to create a a, 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 um, a, a covenant group of people in which there's not just one. Um, what do they call it? Um, fail safe, because that means if there's only one fail safe, that means that if that thing fails, the entire thing collapses. Yeah. And and to be clear, you know, most churches don't just have one person. In clergy, right? Right. You got deacons, you got elders and stuff like that. But what happens is, although you do have that support, it almost becomes into like administrative support. So it's like, right. help me do this because I just don't have enough arms. Like I'm not an octopus, right? So just, <laughs> so help me do this. But it's like, are you equally as theologically equipped Mm-hmm. as your pastor right like that's the difference like you know we know that there's probably no church out here that just has the pastor and members alone that doesn't really exist but what it what does end up happening is that you have that one pastor who is the fail safe because they're expecting him to be theologically sound know everything and you know if he goes on vacation with his wife um you know we we're just gonna watch a video like right right right, right, right <laughs> you right. know what I mean so um you know it's that... kind of like when you had that substitute teacher right. that really doesn't know how to teach you that subject so they sit you down in classroom and they turn on the TV and you watch for forty five minutes before the bell rings right that's exactly what I was getting at <laughs> so um you know it's important that not just that you have people helping you but that everyone's equipped. If yeah. something should happen to pastor today, we have another elder that can step right in and be as equally as, as effective yeah, that's, and accurate. That's the beauty of when you get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, when Bro and I were reading through the first five books of the Bible, and we get to Joshua, and it's almost like, it's, it's just at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses died. And then at the beginning of Joshua, all right, Joshua, your turn. And it, and it was just it was just a very turnkey moment. It was a moment that was just like, well, there are plenty others from whom I can pick and whom are equipped who Moses left. He didn't he didn't just leave his flock dissembled. He didn't leave them in a chaotic state. He left them equipped. And that's what you want your church to be. That you want you want at least a healthy church to be that way. Yep. Um, one thing we think, um, well, Sam suggested, um, and I'll let him elaborate on it, that could be beneficial. An option. An option. Um, maybe if you find that at this current moment, you have members that if you do preach it, you know, that 
if you do create that itch, they probably will leave, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that came to mind, and I know Sam kind of has experience with this with his dad, um, is um, bivocational pastoring. Yeah, um, I believe I believe that this is an option that um, if you're going into ministry, um, probably a great back pocket option, if not your primary way to go about it. Um, and the reason why I say that is because when it comes to um, a lot of people have the tendency to fall into the ditch where they fear, they, they worship money more than they worship God. That's just what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And, but if, you're, if your money is secured by your own doing, as far as like, you don't have to, it's not your members giving you that, you know, causes that relationship or whatever like that, then I think that that alleviates the pastor a little bit because he's not, I'm not, I'm not up here preaching a sermon and hoping that this sermon will now, you know, um, doesn't take away from my table, right? from the food on my table. So to alleviate that pressure, I think bivocational preaching or uh, pastoring is something that um, probably should make a comeback for people who need that option. Um, it, it, well, yeah, just in my opinion. Yeah, and then that way you don't kind of have to, you don't have to walk on eggshells. Like you know, if you sometimes you go to churches and like the pastors, like they'll do offering before they do their message. Oh yeah, 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 like, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, I, I see, I see what you're doing there too. Um, so yeah, just kind of exactly what you said. Like, if that option is available to you, that way you just have your own stuff in place, um, so that you don't feel threatened or you don't feel like you can't be confident in accurate preaching. Um, So to wrap up, we kind of wanted to um, talk about accurate fear of the flock and then we wanted to talk to the flock. Um, So we're going to get into accurate fear of the flock. Um, What should a pastor truly be fearful of when it comes to their flock? Um, The Bible is very clear that when it comes to the preachers and the teachers in the in the um in the church that they're going to be judged more harshly than um the congregants and the reason why is because you're leading you're guiding so you know these congregants are part of the body of Christ they're part of the bride of Christ for you to mishandle them is to return God's to return Jesus's bride battered and bruised. And any man will tell you, if you return my wife battered and bruised, I'm not going to deal with you lightly. Right. Um, so mishandling them is one of the fears that it's a healthy fear that you should have. And God's judgment. And you kind of combine them into two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, um, fear of a lack of fruit in your members. Like, you know, pastors should be engaged. Um, sometimes you go to churches or even conferences and like the pastor comes in at the last minute or like, you know, he only comes in when it's time to preach the word or, you know, as soon as service is over, he has to leave or, you know, during the week, he's not really engaged with his members, things of that nature. Um, and when that happens, you don't really get to see how your members are growing. And But if you do get to see that, um, 
lack of fruit should be fearful to you as a pastor. Right. Because it means that God's word is falling on deaf ears. Yeah. Um, and, and that should be something that you're fearful of. Um, and then also being kicked out of the flock, kicked out yeah. by the flock based yeah. on your sin as a pastor. You know, we talked about this a couple podcasts ago about how, um, so our church right now is a congregational church. Um, that means that the congregation votes people in, um, including the pastor. Uh, so, and there are different governing setups for different churches. Some people are Episcopal where they have um, they, the, the plurality of the elders. Those people basically tell everybody else what to do. Um, and I think personally that having a fear of the flock itself is important. And the, re- the only way you can have a fear, by the way, of the flock is if your flock is equipped. <laughs> right. Your flock would actually have to be knowledgeable that, okay, you're veering off. You're you're not preaching the scriptures or you're not handling them right. Right. So it's it's important that um you equip your flock, but then you also have a healthy fear of them in the sense that you are just an under shepherd. The flock should realize who the over shepherd is. And that is Jesus Christ. And if you're not going in the same direction as the over shepherd, then they need a new under shepherd. Right. So that's, those are healthy fears. Um, you should fear your flock, but in healthy ways. Right. And those are some examples of those healthy ways. Yeah. Um, so to our final point is to the flock itself. Um, members, encourage your pastor if you have a good one. Yeah. Look, if you if you ever get a chance to look at the average salary of a pastor, it's not that high, guys. The Bible says that they're worth double. They 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 should be paid double um their portion. Why is that? Because they're shepherding your soul. This is an, an eternal um payout that you're getting, one way or the other. And if you're getting, I mean, it's it's. What, you, what you're paying them is not nearly worth what they go through. The hours that these guys have to take, they got to take time away from their own families to help shepherd your family. You understand? And it's it's not even only that. It's, it's just all the other jobs that they do as a whole. I mean, they're counselors, they're advisors, coordinators. they're coordinators, things of that nature. Um, if we had to list all the salaries and pay them, it would be a lot more than they make today. Yes. Um, so if you have a good pastor, um, somebody that you know is feeding you spiritually accurately, um, someone that you know is um, just there for you, there for your growth, um, someone who um, can disciple you or put you in position to be discipled, not just to stay there and become a member, but to make you a servant, a growing servant, Mm -hmm. um, encourage that pastor to keep going and, um, congratulate them when they make strides in the faith. Yes. And, and not just your pastors, your elders too. Thank all those people, those, those wonderful and excellent, um, shepherds that are helping guide you in your journey um, as you grow in sanctification with uh, Jesus Christ. Yep. All righty, guys. Um, we're going to wrap up for the week. Um, moral of the story, pastors, don't let these flocks run you. Run you. <laughs> you run this. Well, God runs this. But, you know, your 
the next in you know command from an earthly under shepherd yeah. on an earthly perspective so be confident in your ministry be confident in God's word primarily and um feed your members that accurate word that solid food that right. they can only get from God through you amen all right all right so we'll be back next week with um another topic to ramble off to you guys um so we hope you have a great rest of the week and we'll see you when we get back take Take care. care bye